don't, uh, I haven't got the stats on me, but I do know that um, the basic stat is 13 Youngies events and 13 new people. So um, it's been a good, a good start to the year, and um, a lot of those uh, are sort of ongoing contacts with the good, good and exciting stories to come. Praise the Lord, hopefully. Um, all right, I'm going to talk about love and the secret benefits of being wrong. All right, so um, the inspiration for this talk came from a, just a, a, an observation that Suzette made as a comment on the on the road trip to Kangarubi this year, a few weeks ago. Uh, a few of us made that trip this year. Um, and uh, it was just, I mean, there's a whole conversation that came out of it, but the comment was that the love of God is the answer to every situation. And um, I guess you, if you, we're going to ponder that a little today, but whether it's uh, in your personal life, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your fellowship, whether it's in your, your life in this world, that the love of God is the answer to every situation and, and the different ways that that can be applied into all those situations. It made me think of the almost like, if it's the answer to every situation, it's almost like a tablet, you know, <laughs> that's, that's prescribed to be taken with meals three times daily or as needed in the love of God. Apply it that way. That the um, anyway, it's a simple comment, but it's a very powerful observation. We'll hold on to that and come back to it. But we're going to go to Matthew chapter sixteen and talk about the secret benefits of being wrong. I feel a bit bad for Peter because um, I'm going to talk about Peter a little bit, and uh, he did get a lot of things right. But um, you know, and but we all get a lot of things wrong, and. Um, you know, it's just a bit rough on him that it all gets written down and we all get to read it for 2,000 years. <laughs> um, just want to grab a, a conversation here in verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So he spoils the story. He tells them how it's going to end. All right. Um, well, I guess the bit that they would be alive to see. Um, and uh, so, as it's described there, he tells the whole bit. And Peter took him and, and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. So Peter had this reaction. And fair enough, he'd seen, he'd, he was pretty excited about how his life changed. When we talk about the things that he got right, when he got called to leave his nets, he just got up and left. Like, that is... That is a, an amazing choice of, of faith and, I guess, perception that, that this was going to be something amazing for his life and, 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 a, and a great right choice to kick it off there. Um, and I guess maybe in his mind, of all the things that he'd seen Jesus do, his expectation for the end of the story was very different to what Jesus laid out here. And so he's just, what, what on earth do you mean? And, but, but um, Jesus turns to him in verse 23 and says unto, unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offence unto me, for thou savourest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So uh took him off at the knees there. That would have hurt a little, I'm sure. Um, but um, I guess let's just jump straight to Luke 22 because I want to pick out one more thing. And and that's not the only occasion where Jesus explains what's going to happen to him to his disciples. There's a lot. There's there's some really obvious ones. There's some subtle ones that are easier for us to spot in hindsight. Um, 
um, you know, he even, yeah, he told them he would be mocked and scourged and, and crucified and, and that he would rise again. But I just want to read here um, another part of the story in Luke 22, sorry, and in verse 47. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew unto Jesus to ki- near unto Jesus to kiss him. And Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? And uh, when they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite him with the sword? <laughs> so even though this, they'd been told that this was part of the plan, you know, if you'd listened, you would have known, okay, as much as I don't want this to happen, this is where this is headed now. They were reaching for their swords. And one of them, which is Peter, we know from one of the other accounts in the Gospels, um, smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. So he was pretty certain about his, uh, the way that he wanted this to play out and, and was willing to, for die for Jesus. I guess in the, the, in another passage, it talks about the multitude coming armed as well and, and, you know, Jesus saying, you know, am I a thief that you come to take me like this? Um, but Jesus, uh, Jesus subverts Peter's expectations again. And it says um, in verse 51, And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and he healed him. I won't go any more into that. But I guess um, that we know that the story of Peter goes on to, to other great things. When he receives the Holy Spirit, we know um, he speaks to the day of Pentecost and this story of um, it later on he takes the gospel to the Gentiles. Um, I guess... I want to just make this, the picture I'm trying to build about the benefits of being wrong. Um, we all, um, <laughs> I was thinking, whatever, I have, I have this really strange early memory, um, that, you know, you find out later that you're wrong about things, but I was just asked dad before what year he got made a pastor because it, I think I must have been like three or four that I have this memory from. But, um, I remember thinking that Pastor John must know everything. Like, uh, you know, as a little kid, you see him giving talks. He's just constantly explaining the Bible to everyone, you know. just the, There must be absolutely nothing he knows. And then when Dad got made a pastor, I'm like, so that must mean that he knows almost everything. <laughs> it's just these really weird, like, just self-contained thoughts that for some reason I remember having those. But you find out later, and I'm sure they won't mind me telling you, they don't actually know everything, but they do know a lot of things. Um I have one other analogy I want to make, and I, li- I wish I had a less gory one to make, but once I thought of this one, it really stood out as making the point. Have you ever heard of bloodletting? Yeah, okay. So there was a time where people were sincerely wrong about this. So it was used to treat almost every disease. One British medical text recommends bloodletting. I'll, I'll let you find out if you don't know what it is. They would cut people to release their blood as a, as a, um, as a treatment. So it was recommended for acne, asthma, cancer, cholera, coma, convulsions, diabetes, epilepsy, gangrene, gout, herpes, indigestion, insanity, jaundice. It goes on and on and on. And also, before amputation, it was customary to remove a quantity of blood equal to the amount believed to circulate in the limb that was about to be removed. The withdrawal of so much blood was as to induce fainting was considered beneficial, and many sessions would only end when the patient began to swoon. I'm not going to go through it for time, but right now, to all of us, I'm sure that sounds horrific and, and very, very wrong. 
And yet, obviously, at the time, people were convinced that this, they were absolutely certain that this was the right thing to do. I've got an account here of a medical tr- a treatment from 1824 where they actually wrote down how many litres of blood they took from... So a, a French sergeant was stabbed through the chest while engaged in single combat. Within minutes, he fainted from loss of blood. Arriving at the local hospital, he was immediately bled 600 mils to prevent inflammation. And it goes on, and it says how much they bled him, and he recovers, and it says at the end, the physician wrote that by the large quantity of blood loss, accounting to five litres, and by the and the blood drawn by the application of leech, leeches, one litre, the life of the patient has been preserved. <laughs> so this is a very scary example of people having absolute certainty about something that they shouldn't have. And we've just read about Peter being certain about things that he shouldn't have been certain of because Jesus had told him it was going to happen another way. And um, and I guess there's that thought of absolute certainty. When does it help us and when does it hinder us? There's definitely things that the Lord wants us to be certain about and we're going to look at a couple of those. But there's also things for our own spiritual health that we should avoid being black and white about. And I guess... Through our lives, we're going to be wrong about many things, many times. And, and you know, that we, <laughs> um, we can definitely be the world's worst observers of ourselves as well. Um, and, and maybe, uh, you know, when we're insecure or upset or defensive or angry or jealous, we might be the last ones to figure it out. I'm just talking about things that we can be wrong about. So we can be wrong about ourselves. We can be wrong about other people. And I guess just like the current version of ourself can reflect on our past mistakes and wrong assumptions, there will be a point where the future version of ourselves can look back at now and and realize the things that right now maybe we haven't got perfectly worked out yet. The best part about that is that means that that future version of ourselves will have learnt and grown and move slightly closer to perfection. All right. So if there's a, I, I want you to imagine a graph with me. If I had to, I, I should do it on a slide. But I like maths, so there's a graph. All right. So there's an x-axis here, and there's a y-axis here. It's kind of reversed for you, but so before you've received the Holy Spirit, you, you know the negative numbers are down here below the x-axis. So before you've received the Holy Spirit, you're somewhere in there. All right, and maybe we're all we all held different places in that area. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you're immediately brought up to this line. This is our starting point, and then we've got the y-axis, and we've got perfection. This is where we're going. This is this is what the Lord has told us He wants to do in us, and and this is the time of our life. This is when the Lord comes back. All right, so we're moving along here, and there's different things that we can do that will head us in that direction, but I'm going to tell you that what happens when the Lord gets back is we're not gonna we're not gonna head up to there and then the Lord comes back. We're gonna be like along here and then we go <laughs> So you will not reach perfection in this lifetime. I'm sure that's not news to anyone. But spiritual growth is a learning and an iterative process. It means we do it again. And and it means that 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 we're gonna get things wrong. Let's go to second Peter so in maths, you can describe graphs with an equation. You might remember that. You might be trying to forget it. But graphs can be described with an equation. You know, x is equal to something, something, something with a y in it and more complex ones. But 
This is the scripture that describes the graph that I just told you about, all right? In verse 5 of 2 Peter 1, it says, And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge, and to your knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity or love. It's no accident and that's the last one. For if these things be in you and abound, they will make that you be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just going to read the next verse from another translation where it says, But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fail. So of the things that we need to be certain of, the things that we need to make sure of, is our calling and election. And um, I guess I want to go to um, 1 Corinthians 13 just to explore this thought on love a little more. I'm sure we know it well. And back to the, the thought, the conversation we had in the car about love of God being the answer to every situation. Um, I had a particularly challenging and intimidating conversation I had to have with someone once and I couldn't foresee a positive outcome. Um, I hadn't done anything wrong in this situation, but there's a proverb that says, a brother offended is harder to be one than a strong city and their contentions are like the bar of a castle. It felt it felt like that. And, and, and I'm sure you've all been in this situation. You've got to have a conversation. You don't know how it's going to pan out. And I had a brother, the only other brother that knew about this situation, gave me the best piece of advice, and it was so simple. Uh, can I have a drink? <laughs> I just ran dry. Uh, <laughs> um, sorry, I should have brought a drink bottle. Um, his, oh, is it? Can I have that? Yeah, all right, thank you. All good, thank you. Mm. The simplest piece of advice. He said, before you go, read 1 Corinthians 13. Mm. Um, and it's not that, it's not that maybe in, in anyone's situation, even if you haven't done anything wrong and you don't need to, and it's not about taking responsibility for actual situations, but if you read this, what we're about to read, with an open heart, it's impossible not to be moved. It's impossible not to recognize the distance from where we are on the graph to where we're headed, just in yourself. Um, and it's essential for your spiritual health that you can be willing to be wrong. It's essential for your spiritual health that you can see that there's still more change required in your life and that your wise and kind and perfect Father in heaven wants and has more to teach you. You can't demand that someone else apply God's love to solve the situation. But God's love can achieve in you things that make the external things irrelevant so that things beyond your control don't matter as much as your natural man wants to tell you they do. Let's read it. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Charity suffers or love suffers long. 
and is kind. It envies not, vaunts not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeks not her own, is not easily provoked, thinks no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't need to add much to that. Honestly, like, if you, t- um, the more we check ourselves, the better, is what I'll say. And, and John the Baptist said it well when he said, he must increase, I must decrease. And, and if you reread this, when you have a quiet and focused moment, and you, and you're ready, uh, and you really apply it to yourself and overlay it over the things that you might be facing, the love of God is the answer to every situation. It certainly is. And all the people said, let's go to Psalm 19. I got a quote here. It says, for anything, any, sorry, for any change to happen in your life, you must be wrong about something. <laughs> Why change it if it doesn't need fixing? There's so many verses I could go to that tell us the things that God wants us to be absolutely certain about. But this one I love and I feel like it sums it up quite well. I'm sure you can find others. Psalm 19, verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey in the honeycomb. I'm going to read you one other verse to go with this. Um, uh, and just from the Amplified, it's in Hebrews 6. It says, This hope, this confident assurance we have as an anchor of the soul, it cannot slip, it cannot break down under whatever pressure bears upon it. A safe and steadfast hope that enters within the veil of the heavenly temple, that most holy place in uh, which the very presence of God dwells. So our hope, as we just read here in this list in Psalm 19, our hope is in not in not in us, but in God's law, in His testimony, in His statutes, His commandments, His judgments. And um, what what is the secret benefit to be willing to be wrong? It means that we are humble enough and our hearts are open to be led and taught by God. If you're visiting here today, if there's anything holding you back from, from stepping out in faith and putting God to the test, it's worth considering that the God of all creation might be able to adjust your perspective when he fills you with the Holy Spirit today. When you speak in tongues for the first time, there'll be so many open questions and assumptions that you might have in your mind that will be instantly be answered. And all the people said, it's happened to us. Saints, if you're absolutely certain that your brother or sister is wrong about something, or you're absolutely certain that you're right about something, remember bloodletting. (laughs) Being absolutely certain about something could be worse for your spiritual health than applying reading and prayer to what God could change in you. No matter what the question is, 
the answer is the love of God. And all we have to say.